raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The 50th edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys today. Is there another co- is there another co-host normally? Well, you haven't been around the last for a couple of these, so I have to emphasize when you actually are present. Not by choice, but you know. Um, so Anthony is back. We're going to get his thoughts on Carolina's weekend in the Hall of Fame tip-off classic. I'm going to deliver a soliloquy about missing Roy Williams. Talk about the overall concerns for this team after this weekend. Um, and then we'll get into the preview against UNC Asheville, our keys to the game and all that great stuff. But before we do any of that, we start with the pod thought of the day. And this was... Something that it popped in my head after Saturday's defeat, not so much uh, with the way we played yesterday, but I still think it does apply, something we can touch on here in a couple of minutes. We go to Dean Smith. Dean once said, the effort is the big thing. If we play hard, the best I think we can, and still lose, then I have to be regardless of the outcome. That's how I felt on Saturday. I thought Carolina played about as well as they could have played, given Leaky Black not being able to go due to a non-COVID-19-related illness, Armando Baycott scoring two points, and dealing with foul issues for the majority of the night. And Carolina was still in the game. Took a lead in the second half. And there was a path to Carolina winning the game. It didn't ultimately happen, But I left that game saying, I don't believe in moral victories. I think the second you settle for a moral victory, you are a loser. But I left that game encouraged. I thought it was like, okay, you could see you could see this team they 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 fought. I thought that was the best they competed all year long. And I went, okay. Well we'll bounce back tomorrow. We'll 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 do what we did positively. That'll carry over and, and against Tennessee. 
and we'll come back, we'll get a split, which was my goal entering the weekend anyway. I didn't think they were going to go 2-0 one way or another. The goal was to go 1-1, one and one, get a good win, and learn about yourselves. Instead, Carolina went 0-2. They still learned a lot about themselves over the weekend. They've got some issues that are rather significant at this point in the season, but uh, just curious, wanting to get your thoughts on a, a first encouraging but ended a frustrating 0-2 weekend up there in Uncasville, Connecticut. I'm with you. I think the Purdue game, there, there were some promising things for sure, especially when I saw that Leaky Black was going to be out for that game, which I, there's no debating that he has been Carolina's best defender to start the season. When I saw that he was going to be out for that game, I said to myself, this could be a long, long night for Carolina. And if you told me that some of the guys that they had around Jared Ivey had as much success as they did, I would have said, yeah, there's no way they're they're winning this game. And, I mean, look, they, they, they fought about as hard as they could have. Now, I mean, d- d- at the end, Purdue sort of took over. But, look, Purdue did the same thing in the final against Villanova, a team that right now I think we can all agree is a better team than Carolina. Yes. So for them to run away in that, I think that just kind of showed you that Purdue is a really good basketball team. That's not a game that really concerned me all that much. The game that concerned me more was definitely the one yesterday against Tennessee. Now, I'm not freaking out just yet because, again, it is still early in the season. Carolina has moments like that, and it's also coming under a new coach. But there were a lot of things that were very reminiscent of the issues from a year ago. A lot of turnover issues. A lot of issues switching on screens. Too much hedging. Those are issues that you were hoping would sort of be not maybe not gone completely gone this early in the season. There should have, but there the should be marginal improvement. The amount, the 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 frequency at which it is happening is alarming. Yep. At this point in the season, that now you are, I mean, you're five games in. You've allowed less than 70 points in one game this season. Well, you've given up at least 83 points or more in four straight games. I, and, and, I mean, and, and and outside of Purdue, you're going to see better offenses as the season goes along. Look, I, I'm not – look, if you would have told me that they gave up 83 or more to Tennessee, I would have said, okay, that's not the end of the world. The fact that you gave up 83 or more to Brown and College of Charleston – that should be a little concerning because the competition is going to be better than those two teams that I just mentioned for pretty much the rest of the season. Yeah. So you've you've got to start seeing some marginal improvement defensively. I'm not ready to freak out just yet, mainly because I know they didn't look great yesterday. And I think part of that was that they were on a back-to-back. I still feel like this team offensively has the pieces to be a good basketball team, and the offense can carry them. But you've got to see some signs of life defensively because right now this just looks like a team, to me, that has 
gotten into the mindset of we're not going to be able to stop anybody. We're just going to have to score on the other end of the floor. And you shouldn't be to that point right now. I'm not going to say I'm in panic mode, freak out mode. My concern, That's a lie. Off air, yes. My, my concern level on November 22nd is a lot higher than I anticipated it being. But that's just – that's where Carolina is right now. And that's a byproduct of a lot of different things. That's a new system. That's three transfers that are still trying to incorporate themselves into the program. That's still the fact that Carolina is still very, very young in a lot of areas where youth can be a a, a deal-breaker for your basketball team. I think the thing that left me the most frustrated over the weekend was how good they looked Saturday, despite a loss, and how 180 they looked on Sunday. That's That was the most shocking. They came out Sunday flat, no energy. They slept walk through the first half in a game they were down 39-32 to in a game that wasn't even that close. And, I mean, look, the then, first half I thought was close, no, but what would happen wasn't. every what would happen every time, and this happened a lot against Purdue that was was frustrating, was you would close the gap to within a possession, and then even just these mini runs of four four straight points, six straight points, every time you saw the that. Carolina got close, the other team would respond with one of those types of runs. And the part that's that I think will have most people frustrated is the fact that a lot of the time it wasn't just, well, Purdue or Tennessee made a shot. No. It was self-inflicted. That's the problem that I think people are starting to have because you 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 had yourself there you were within shouting distance. All you needed was a stop and get the ball back and go down the floor. And then you don't rotate right off a screen. You go under a screen. You're back down six when you were within three or something like that. Was the most frustrating part in both of those games where there were multiple times you were right there and you just you made mistakes that put you right back out of it. Yeah, and look, in the second half against Purdue, Purdue shot 64% from the field. It's hard to win when you allow that. Yesterday against Tennessee, this might be a more um, damaging stat, if you will. They allowed Tennessee to score on 16 of 17 possessions at one point in the second half. My gosh. You, you find me a team in college basketball that could win withstanding that type of defensive per, uh, performance. And it, it, I and mean, it, it wasn't that they can't. made 16 to 17 shots. It was the rare time that they forced a miss. We're not in a position to get a rebound. Tennessee entered the game, the best offensive rebounding team in the country, averaging north of 20 offensive rebounds. They did a very they they did as good as a job as they could have, but it was at the inopportune time, not being able to get a defensive rebound, secure a stop, and go down the other way. What really stood out to me over the weekend, and I think I, I, I know I know I've been waiting for this. I'm sure you have as well, and our listeners has probably they've been waiting for that moment, especially if they lived through the transition from Dean Smith to Bill Guthridge to Matt Doherty. I've been waiting for that moment to hit me 
that I really missed Roy Williams. It wasn't Saturday where I looked when I looked at the game and the team and thought, I miss Roy. It was yesterday. And the biggest reason why is this. We're accustomed to seeing Carolina looking like that at some point in the season. Now, it's usually not in November. It's usually December or January, usually in a road conference game where they look absolutely abysmal. Well, they have had moments like this before. Remember, this is the game yesterday, to me, resembled a lot of what we saw in, I don't remember the year, but the battle for Atlantis where Butler just absolutely destroyed them. That was 2013. Yeah, that, that was, that was kind of what that game reminded me of. It was a tournament where Carolina did not have a lot of success at all. Now, here's the thing. Carolina rebounded from that. Well, that and, and look, that's what I was getting to. And it, it's not that Carolina got beat. That had me, well, look, don't get me wrong, that had me really flustered. It, is, it has ruined my absolute week. Thanksgiving is going to be it's going to be a really long day of of thankfulness thinking about my life. What? The last 18 years whenever Carolina looked like that, I could look at my coach and say I know we're going to be okay. Not and look, with Hubert, I think we're going to get to that point. At least I think we're going to get to that point. But that was that's what stood out to me yesterday was that when I looked at Hubert Davis, what I really wanted to look over and see was Roy Williams not watching his team play bad because I know in, Dece- in in February and March, we're going to be okay. I mean, it's a calming presence. It's a guy that you knew had been there for as many years as he had at Carolina and had gotten the job done consistently. He had been through those moments where he had really struggled. And look, I think it's okay to feel like that, that there is uncertainty and you don't know. Um, at the same time, I'm not at the point that some Toriel fans are at. I, I saw a couple Toriel fans yesterday. I think it's time to move on. <laughs> I mean, look, that is not – no way. I'm not, I'm not anywhere near there, but I'm with you. I think this is one of the first times – and for me, it was against the College of Charleston because that's a game where I felt like – this is a classic Roy Williams makes adjustments, Carolina runs away in the second half type of game. On the road, hostile environment. That's one of those halftime interviews like the 2016 NCAA tournament run where he gets he, he has the interview at halftime of the first round game against Florida Gulf Coast and basically just says, we looked awful. And Carolina responds and blows a team out in the second half. That didn't really happen. And look, I, I we gave praise. Hubert Davis made those adjustments. But when you have a Hall of Fame head coach that's done it not only at your historic program, but at a second historic program, two of the best programs in the history of the sport, it's natural that when you lose that guy and the person that replaces him let alone the fact that Hubert Davis is a guy that is a first a first time head coach. It's there's going to be times where some doubt creeps into your mind. And also what really stood out to me yesterday was how different does yesterday go if Steve Robinson's on that bench? Because having that type of guy to turn to 
and just go to for an advice, I think I think matters because that was Roy and look that was Roy Williams' number one guy. I I understand why Hubert Davis overhauled the staff, and I still think this staff is going to do a really good job. But it's it was in moments like these, which is why I told you back in the summer that not bringing him back in the short term could be a mistake. Long term, probably the best decision. And look, he's happy and healthy, and he's loving look, calling uh, coaching now at Arizona. They just upset number four Michigan last night. But I put a poll out on Twitter, and not not to say that I was at this point, because I I wasn't at this point. So, so somebody somebody got pretty mad at you. Um, but just to get the overall, perf- you know. The pulse of Tar Heel Nation after the weekend. And the poll was, after this week's performance, is it time to question Hubert Davis as the head coach and his coaching staff? I got 175 votes, which I believe is the most votes I've ever gotten on a poll. It's kind of sad. And then a 73% said no, which of course means 27% said yes. Good math. Don't think it's time to question Hubert Davis. No. You did ask the question, though. But this is the first time that we're going to see him face adversity as a head coach, his coaching staff face adversity as a coaching staff, and this team respond to adversity under him. And in a lot of ways, that should be really exciting because we're really about to find out the metal that he has as a coach and his ability. Actually, we're going to learn his ability, I believe, in the next five to ten games, how good he can coach. I mean, it's a good thing that he's going to face adversity at so, I mean, you you do not want him to not face because remember well, when Matt when Matt Doherty I, I'd rather win and here. never face adversity and lose and have to face adversity. Well, yes, but I don't think that that was realistic. We knew that there were going to be points where there was going to be adverse situations that a first time head coach and a new staff were going to have to face together. Because remember, when Matt Doherty first came in, he didn't face a whole lot of adversity. Things seem to be sailing along really, really well. And when everything hit the fan, they could never respond to it. So that's my point, is that maybe it's a good thing that you're facing adversity as early as you are. Maybe it's a good thing that you are playing a schedule that is testing you, your players, and your staff out of the gate early, that this is not a schedule where you could beat up on the Browns, the UNC Ashevilles, all those, and then get into conference play, and then we're having these issues that we're seeing right now. That's the point that I'm trying to make. I don't think you should be questioning this team. Yeah, it's way this team is it's way too early. It's way, way, way too early to be at that point yet where you're saying, look. Did we make the wrong decision? Is Look, is that a thought that a lot of people probably have? You're always going to have that thought. That's always going to be in the back of your mind because you're going to look at the success of other guys. You're going to naturally, as a fan, get a little impatient. But at the same time, it's you going in. I think that me and you, our expectations probably were a little bit too high. Now, I don't that doesn't mean that they still can't come to fruition. But it's 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 clearly going to be a process. This isn't going to be pick it up. It's Carolina. 
we're not going to have we're going to be able to get through this because we don't go through normal coaching transitions. Well, here's the thing. My expectation will never waver. I will always expect to finish top 3 in the ACC and be a final four type of team. That'll never change. But if if we were in a theoretical transition period, he was given an opportunity all summer long to say that. And every time he was asked about his program, the expectation was an ACC regular season championship, okay, an ACC tournament, a Final Four, and a national championship. What coach is going to come out and say, especially at a program like this? You got an NFL head you know, coach in Charlotte I'm saying, I need three years. Okay, you- and guess what? He's on the hot seat for a reason. Again, and here's the other thing with that argument. What what is the history of Carolina Panthers football but my, as opposed to Carolina basketball? Here, here's if he, my thing. I wouldn't here, have, I wouldn't have real, been mad had he said the, no, stop. We're, we're going just stop. We're going to transition, but by year that's two, a lie. I expect to be a national title. You contender. are lying no, because I'm not. your expectation, even before he said anything, your expectation, no doubt, was to finish top three. In the ACC. That's, no question. That's the barometer. So that's what I'm saying. If he came out and said, hey, my goal, it's going to take us time to get where we want to go. I'm in a rebuilding process. You would have said, what kind of goals is that to set for a Carolina basketball program? And don't say you wouldn't have said that because I, I, I know you would have said that. I have that. no problem with you wanting to rebuild because then it would have it given me the opportunity to then because look as Tar Heel fans, you can't blame this staff. You can't blame him for your expectations, though. Again, what do you expect a guy that's taking over a blue blood program like North Carolina to say? He, he, it, he's it, not going to come out and say, "Look, this is a process. I don't think we're going to be that good." What kind of leadership is that to your players, especially to a guy like Brady Manick? who is coming over from Oklahoma to a situation where he thinks, I can win and win big. That's what I want. That's the reason why I entered the transfer portal. And look, they can still win big. All I'm saying is if is if, if, if this is going to be a transition year, and I, I still think it's going to be, I still think Carolina ultimately is going to be fine. But you are given an opportunity all summer long to temper expectations. The fan base isn't going to turn on you if you temper expectations. I 100% disagree because with you. We, we know how volatile this fan base is. But he, here's the difference. You were hand-selected by the guy who ultimately signed off on you t- on you getting the job. So we're going to naturally trust his instinct. And if, if Huber comes out and says, look, we're going to be a transition year, we can be really good, and we can accomplish all of these things, but it may take two but years. Again, what type of message is that to your locker room? With guys that, on paper, have the talent to be really good players. And you're saying, well, you know, if we make the NCAA tournament, that's a good goal. No no head coach is going to say that. Every, especially if you are at a blue blood, blue blood program, you are going to say, my goal before the season starts is to win a national championship, as it always should be at... Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, 
Am I am I missing the, somebody the, in there? The list stops there. Those maybe Villanova's getting to that point. Maybe Nova and UCLA. Michigan State has an argument, maybe, but you're not going to come into your introductory press conference or even your first season at a place like Carolina and say. We're going to be satisfied if we make the tournament. That's just, that's not going to happen. I'm not so saying you make can't, the tournament. you can't blame Hubert Davis for the reason why your expectations were as high as they were. Had they, had he said Sweet 16 was a good starting point. Okay. If you look at this roster that we saw in the preseason based on the natural progression that we thought we were going to see, it's a Sweet 16 roster. No, you said it was the Final Four roster. I said there are there's potential to make the Final Four if they do dot dot dot. We're about to talk about dot 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 because those things are gonna what's gonna have to get fixed to end to end to achieve the <laughs> excuse me the long term goals. That's all I'm saying. I'm willing to grow with Hubert Davis as as my head coach. We don't have a choice because he's he's not going anywhere, and he's going to be given time. And that makes sense. I'm fit. I'm with you, and, and, and but so, you can't. You seem to want to blame him for the reason that no, the expectations are high. No, my expectations he, are always going to be above everybody else's. I have no issue with him coming out and saying that even in year one, because of the program that I am at. And because, mainly, I think this was another reason he said, because I played for this program, I know that the goal should always be win the ACC, win the ACC tournament, play for a national championship. To me, I would have been concerned if he would have came out and said, well, you know what? I'm not setting the official goals yet or something like that. I like that you've got a coach that wants to be bold and come out and say, look, this is my goals right away. It's just well, then with you that, would expect. With that comes the criticism that he's going to receive. And I'm going to say after this past weekend, rightfully so. And let's get to the concerns for this team moving forward before we talk about UNC Asheville. I've talked all preseason and all in the start of non-conference season. You, this is what you you, know, you played the games you played over the weekend to gauge where your team is, to get a feel of where your team is, figure out where you got to improve, where you got to get better. But also, this is where you create good habits and you create bad habits. Carolina has a lot, a lot of work to do defensively. This is a team that I believed was built to defend the ball a lot better than they were last year because you added a Dawson Garcia. You 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 know you're taking your guards are taking the next step, and and the, and look the growth is always talking about on the offensive end, but usually in year two you get better defensively. I was really encouraged by the idea of trying new things defensively. You saw it against Loyola, and you saw it a little bit against Brown. We haven't seen those adjustments since then. Now look, they did some really good things I thought in the second half against Charleston. They held them to 36 percent shooting for the second half, and overall for the game, and so look, uh, they made adjustments, but this past weekend, you watched two teams score almost 90 points on you, and not a single adjustment was made. Now, granted, maybe that was, maybe that was a point. Maybe it was, maybe that was him being stubborn like Roy Williams and saying, hey, you're going to figure it out. I think we're talented enough to get better defensively, but I do think there's got to be some tweaks. The, the, 
the way Carolina defends the ball screen is is wrong. It's 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 not the way you should defend screens in today's basketball. You you got to quit going under screens. You either got to switch or you got to have your guys fight over the ball screen, take away that shooting space. But it's not just the defending the ball screens. If you can't stay in front of the ball, you're not going to stop anybody, especially with the lack of front court depth Carolina has. You've got three bigs. And you, if you had the quartet of bigs you had last year, it's not a problem. They could contest more shots. That was still at, an issue last year. Right. But you could they could they could contest more shots. You were at a point against Purdue under at the under six minute mark of the of the second half, you couldn't contest layups because all three of your bigs were had had four fouls and two of them ultimately fouled out. So there's the adjustments have to be made. To me, it starts on the defensive end of the court. And the the lack of front court depth. I really think we talked ourselves into thinking they could manage with three bigs. And look, that's not a criticism of Huber Davis. Giving what when he got hired and what he inherited, where you lost four post players in the and in, in less than a week of being the head coach, he did a remarkable job refilling out the roster, adding Dawson Garcia, adding Brady Manick, and Justin McCoy is going to be a nice player. That's going to be next year, and it's going to be at the three spot as opposed to the four. But And we've given him credit on the recruiting trail. He knows that, which is why they're addressing it on the recruiting trail. They're bringing in more front court players, players that fit his model, his vision for the program. But with that being said, given the, the, the inability to defend and the lack of front court depth, the easiest, the easiest fix to, to 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 fix your defensive woes is you is you play zone defense. Yeah, I've been with you on that from the start, or or at least look, you don't have to go exclusive zone. That is not what anybody is saying. Oh, that's what I'm saying. You've got to go what I. I'm not there with you on that. Just because when you went with the multiple looks against Loyola, it worked. Just throw something different out there. And look, I don't think this is all on Hubert Davis. I think that the other guys on the coaching staff, especially a guy like Jeff Lebo, who's been a head coach before, needs to say to Hubert, hey, it's not working. We need to do something. Because look, yeah, there might be those moments where Hubert Davis is getting a little stubborn. Sometimes you need that assistant that says, "Hey, look, we got to change something up because right now, I know you want to be I know you want them to learn the way that you're playing. But look, we we got to we want to win. So let's let's try to adjust something and hey, if it works out, then maybe this is something that we as a coaching staff have to take a look at and say, is this what allows us to be more successful? Because I'm with you. The th- this this straight up Man defense, this has not worked for the last few years. The fact that teams can just screen the hell out of you and you've got no answer for it. That's four laps now we got to walk. I don't understand how people have, how the coaching staff hasn't grown frustrated with that. And I mean, Hubert Davis has been on this staff. Brad Frederick has been on this staff. Sean May has been on the staff that struggled with that before. To me, if I'm a coach that's seeing that over and over again, I'm saying, look, we got to try anything, something different, because right now it's just not working the way that we want to. Maybe it's the fact that 
we're not executing it right. Maybe it's the fact that, hey, these guys just aren't that talented defensively. Which but is, a zone defense mask, is going to help you out with that. Zone mask all the, ba- the, ba- the major issues that you usually have. It does leave you suspect to uh, giving up offensive rebounds. They're doing that already, though. But I, I would much rather give up offensive rebounds, honestly, than watch Caleb Love and R.J. Davis repeatedly get beaten off the dribble. And that wasn't just against Purdue and Tennessee, who got dudes at, in their backcourt. That was Loyola, Brown, and the College of Charleston. So that's an issue. And look, I'm not saying you got to play well. I did just say a minute ago you got to play exclusive zone. I don't think you have but, to, but, but you want to change things up, keep people on their feet well, because right also, now you're predictable. You're so predictable these last four games, and and and, and even and I, I believe so much in this. You could play a half-hearted defense, whether it's a zone, a you know a tra, you know a, a, a scramble defense, whatever it is. But all of a sudden, you hurry that offense up. They take one bad shot. It's just, all, all it takes is one bad shot, and now the whole rhythm is is thrown off, and it can compl- and it can change the the entire way the game is flowing. I want to run, I want to run more than any any person out there. They will never play as fast as I want them to play, but I also want to dictate the t- I also want to dictate the tempo defensively, and I think he has the personnel to do just that. Well, here's the thing that I think you've got we we've got to start asking ourselves. Does this team need to try to slow it down just because with the with the pace that they play at? I know it's working on the offensive end at times, but is it hurting you is is it hurting you more on the defensive end than it's helping you on the offensive end? I think that's a question. That's a legitimate question at this point. I I think the biggest the you know the best way and that gets to my final concern with this team, the best way to figure out if that's true or not is if Carolina limits their turnovers. If, if you, yeah, they did such a good job of that in the first two games of the year, but these last three, man. If, if they quit turning the ball over and they quit giving the uh, the opposition runouts and easy baskets, then we'll really – it'll help identify Carolina's issues defensively even more so. And it comes back to the same issue we had last year. Entry passes are still a problem. Caleb Love's decision-making, still a problem. Knowing when to attack and when not to attack – Still a problem. Now, they're still very young, and they're adjusting to a new system, a new scheme, a new way of playing, but you can't keep turning the ball over at the rate Carolina's turning the ball over. Your big guy's got to be able to handle it, but Dawson Garcia has got to be stronger with the ball. I mean, he is—this is what—I don't don't have the the stats from the College of Charleston or Brown in front of me. This has to be— at least three, maybe four games in a row where he's got at least three turnovers. Well, he he just looks he looks uncomfortable with his back to the basket. When he gets the ball in a face up on the perimeter and he and he dribbles, he looks fine. But the second he gets a post move and tries to which of course trying to dribble across the lane is a basic rule of one on one of basketball. You're not gonna be able to do that. But it's no matter what move he's trying to make out of the post with the ball on the floor. He's not strong enough with the ball. That's adjustments that's being because he didn't do that at Marquette. He was a face-up player. Well, now he's a he's a majority of a face-up player here. But sometimes we got to put you on the block. That's just part of it. To space the floor, we want to space the floor. 
and get the kind of looks we want to get. And also the way Carolina wants to run that high-low action, someone's got to be down low. Goes back to the depth, too. You don't have guys that you, – you don't have another guy that you can put down low when Armando Baycott has to come out of the game. If you had Dayron Sharp back, you would it would allow Dawson Garcia to play a position that he is more comfortable with. But right now, you don't have that. And here's the other thing. You've got to have that back-to-the-basket game if you want to if you want to play in the NBA. Like you've got to be a guy that can score in multiple ways because here's the thing. Look at a guy that is mostly playing the four on this team in Brady Manick. He doesn't have those same issues. If he if you need him on the block, he can go there. That's not where he's at his best, but he is capable of Having his back to the basket his offensive and game not more, turning the ball is, over. is more defined. I think Which makes sense. He's a senior. Right. I still think Dawson Garcia, in terms of just pure basketball ability, is the most talented front court player Carolina has. But it's now growing into all that talent and getting the most out of that talent. We're going to take a quick break, play this week's ad from DraftKings. Then when we come back, we will get into Carolina's matchup tomorrow night against the UNC Asheville Bulldogs. The NHL season is underway and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. It doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection, however they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Basketball, football, UFC, you name it, DraftKings has it. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with the promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required. One per customer. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great promos. I've been running for you guys here over here on the Four Corners podcast. What Anthony's been running for you guys over on the Heel Tough blog podcast. Getting some extra holiday cash as we uh, we close in on Christmas. We doing presents this year? Who? For each other? Yes. For the listeners? No, I can't afford the listener base presents. Nah. Our present your your present listeners is our sweet, dulcet tones. Um are we do, are we doing Christmas gifts on the pod? Probably not, because we are poor. Also, we do I, work, wait a second. We do work in radio. I have bought you how many meals consecutively? That's just that's my gift to you. That's just how that's just how the world turns. No, that's just how the wallet stays in the car. That's that's how that that's how that works. That's also because you again, I'm not buying. Oh, I forgot my wallet in the car again. No, you didn't. You left it in there on purpose. 
Uh, yeah. Oh. So Carolina. We have got, a controversy. Carolina has a really good chance to right some wrongs tomorrow night. Back in the Smith Center against UNC Asheville. The Bulldogs enter this game with an overall record of two and two. But as you could expect with most mid-major programs, they've got they've got issues. Uh, first off, they only have one guy averaging double-figure scoring. Drew Pember, 10.8 points per game, 5.3 rebounds, and one assist per. Believe it or not, he leads the team in scoring. His 5.3 rebounds lead the team, and his one assist average per game is third best on the team. For, no, excuse me, fourth best on the team. They also have an average height of just 6'6", six, six, just three guys on the roster Six nine or taller, an average experience of two point two years. But there's one thing they do very, very well, and I don't know if it's a factor of their opponents or not, but they defend the three very well. They're allowing just four made threes per game. That's fifth best in the country, and just twenty one percent from behind the three point line as a team. That is eighth best in the country. Nonetheless, this is a great chance for Carolina to come out and exercise some demons tomorrow night in the Smith Center. They don't have a game over Thanksgiving break, so they get they get to play. And they get eight days off where they bring they, they welcome Michigan to town the first uh, the first day in December. And there's no way that they're not chomping at the bit to get back on the court to get that bad taste out of their mouth from Sunday afternoon in Connecticut. I mean, look, this this is the perfect matchup you would feel like. Now, I'm not going to get overly confident because I thought we would beat Brown by like 50. Yeah, you did. And that didn't quite work out that way. I will say this, part of that that you just talked about with the three-point shooting percentage is the teams that they've played. It is. Because one of their wins is against Brevard College, which we know here locally, D2 school. Their other win is Tennessee Tech. I actually sent my uh, church basketball tape to Brevard College. And they said... Denied. We, that, yeah, they said, look... Denied! We, we hold, Ian Eagle likes to say. We hold our players to a higher standard than that, even though our standard isn't all that high. The fact that they are averaging 32 rebounds a game, that's it. I mean, Carolina should dominate on the glass. They do not have size. so And size matters. This is definitely a game where put the ball inside to Armando Baycott, let him dominate, that can open up things for your offense. The biggest thing in this game is what we just talked about. Yeah. The, the, what do you look like defensively? That was my very first key to the game is just defend. It, my thing is, I think at times in these last two games primarily, there were times where you honestly had to question the effort of them on the defensive, especially especially in that game against Tennessee. There There's, were just times where guys did not look interested in guarding the basketball. If if their question isn't being if their effort isn't being questioned, that's a problem. More so against Tennessee. Purdue was a was it was an issue where Purdue got hot. Right. They got dudes that can sh- that can shoot the three ball. I thought Carolina competed really high. That wasn't the case against Tennessee. 
And look, this is a really good chance to experiment about all those things I just talked about. You just talked about whether it's a zone, a press, a trap, a scramble defense, a box and one. These are why you play these games is to try new things. That's what I was going to say. You you need to do this now. Don't wait to a point in the season where you say, look, we've got to start changing something because we're still allowing 80-something points per game, and all of a sudden you blink and you're right at the start of ACC play. That's not where you need to be figuring stuff out. Right now, against these opponents, this is where you need to start experimenting with some stuff and finding out what does your team do better than what they're doing right now. And also, I think it's very important that as they finish up the non-conference season, you get Michigan at home and you go you go to play UCLA on a neutral site game. You got to get one of those games, preferably the Michigan game, because that game's on your home floor. Because I don't want to if you if you play four me- meaningful non-conference games, which you've already played two and lost two, and you play two more, you lose both of those, and you go seven and four or eight and four in the non-conference season, you didn't really learn a whole lot about who you are. So you got to beat someone good. To really say, okay, well, this is how we stack up against Michigan, who even though with two losses early in the season, is still a legitimate contender to win the Big Ten and will probably play deep into March. UCLA is going to most likely win the Pac-12. They're going to be at least in the second weekend of the UCLA tournament. So, uh, you know, but to to compete with those teams, you've got to start righting your wrongs. You can start with that against UNC Asheville. The second thing I got is play with energy because they lacked energy yesterday. And which was oddly a very sparse crowd in the consolation game. That was that. Yeah, that was a rough. Crowd. It, it, what, what, the, the amount of Tar Heel fans that were there on Saturday, they didn't re-show back up on Sunday, which was kind of shocking. And the ones that were there, let's be honest, they were there to take pictures with Roy and Rhonda Williams, not watch Carolina play basketball. Yeah, I, I I'm, I'm kind of with you on like, why, why would you go all the way up there, and then. When they don't end up, like, were there that many people that really felt going into that game against Purdue that Carolina was going to no doubt win that game? I'd hope not. I didn't feel like that. Now, maybe, I mean, look, you can say whatever you want. Oh, you're not a true fan. Well, here's the thing. I thought they you, were going to beat you Purdue looked, and lose to Nova. That's what I thought entering entering the event. Yeah, I, I I honestly would have thought they would have lost to Purdue, and with what with what I saw yesterday from Purdue makes a ton of sense. And I thought they would have beaten Tennessee. Well, that was my thought process so, after Saturday afternoon. Well, yeah, I'd hope so. But so that was where I was at. So I don't really get. Uh, you were right. I I said that to myself as well when I was looking early in the game. I I was like, wow, dude, there is nobody here. Like this is. This is bad. This looks like a small, like Myrtle Beach classic type of crowd here. And I didn't really get that. I, In terms of the fact that there was an effort, I think the fact that, the, that it was a back-to-back after putting as much as they put into that game against Purdue, which was... So what are you just ended up being a rock fight when you play a high level ACC tournament game. I mean, yeah, no, you're it's going like, to be like, well, we're, you, you, guys, we're tired. Well, but here's the thing: tired, you're guys. hoping that they are learning from that experience. That look, you're going to put everything that you can into one game, but you've got to be able to follow that effort up 
and be able to rebound from it. You didn't. That's the thing now is when you get to the ACC tournament, now you've got that. You, you've got this this past weekend as something you can point back to. Say, look, remember when we came out, gave everything we had against Purdue, and fell short, and then came out as flat as we possibly could against Tennessee. Now, I think you're right. I think coming out flat will be a concern because, yet again, this is a weeknight game. It's against a team that you should beat. And, and it's right before how, Thanksgiving. How great is the crowd going to be? Yep. That, that was my so, biggest thing. These are the it types could be of games, sleepy. These are the types of games you – like Loyola wasn't even sold out, but there was good energy in the building. Then you played Brown at home on a Friday night at 9 o'clock. Not many people are going to show up on a Friday night at 9 same thing with this week. Game's at 7, but it's two days before Thanksgiving, so people are traveling, getting ready to travel. A lot of what, the students are going to already gonna be, be heading gone. home. So, you know, you're going to you're gonna have to create your own energy, so come out, be ready to play. And then the It's last- also on the leaders, by the way. You need to see some of these guys, like Armando Baycott, Caleb Love to a certain extent, even Brady Manick. You need to see these guys getting these guys ready, saying, look, we've got to take – Every one of these games, we've got to play every one of these games the same way that we played that game against Purdue in terms of effort level. Last thing I got written down, and it's just more about just trying to you know take the next step and the things we talked about earlier. This is a good chance to t- limit your turnovers. They're not going to pose a, a, a defensive will that's going to overpower you. They don't have a lot of size. They don't have the, the type of talent that you have. Their depth isn't as as good as your depth is. So this is a good chance to slow the game down, take your time, make the right play, make the proper play. And as I've stressed, this is when you create good habits. If you come out and you turn the ball over 15, 16, 17 times in this game, it's going to be really hard to, to, to remain upbeat that you are going to get better as the season moves along. The one good thing about all the issues we've talked about with Carolina is I there's not a there's not an issue what I look at and say it's not correctable this season outside of the depth. That's, yeah, I was gonna say the, the center only, depth. That's the only yeah. thing that you cannot fix during the season. But your defense, your shot, your, your you know the your your, your shot mis, uh, decision, your your passing, all the things that are plaguing this team, they are correctable. You can do that. You can take the next step in correcting that tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, especially the turnovers is something you want to avoid being in close games against some of these mid-major teams. Get back to taking care of the basketball. You showed us that you could do that in the games against Loyola, and you did it against Brown. It was just you couldn't stop them. Yeah. In order to win some of these high-level games that we just talked about, you want to get one of those two from Michigan or UCLA, you better not. There is no way that you can turn the ball over 13 or 14 times like they did in this past this past weekend and win that game. Not the way you're playing defensively. So you've got to value the basketball. And I think they're capable of it. And here's the thing. When they take care of the basketball... They score, they've scored the basketball well. One of the things I was most encouraged about over the weekend was, once again, you saw Dawson Garcia, who had not had one of those games so far, steps up, leads the team in scoring against Purdue. Then yesterday, even in a game that Carolina was out of relatively early, 
You saw Brady Manick step up. You're seeing so many different guys that can score the ball for this team from night to night. If you took care of the basketball better, you would have a chance to win these games. So that, that, that that's the point that I'm at. There are there are I'm with you. There are so there are a lot of positives on that offensive end, but some what wipes that all away is when you turn the basketball over, and that's hurting you defensively, where you're not even that great in the half court, let alone when you end up having to go in transition and you're playing scramble defense. Carolina enters the game with an 89.6% chance to win, according to ESPN's Basketball Power Index. I'm going to go ahead and pick Carolina to beat UNC Asheville and improve to 4-2 and on the season, including 3-0 and at home in the Smith Center. Yeah, no, I, I, I think they'll win it. Um, but I, it's, it's one of those games where until I see Carolina really have one of those dominant games, it's hard to feel like they're going to dominate. I, I still think this will be a game that at a point in the second half, you will say to yourself, are we going to find a way to lose this game? Hopefully I'm wrong, but I still feel like there's areas that they've got to work on. I do think they will see some improvement on the defensive end. And this feels like one of those games where maybe early in the second half, that's when you have that moment where you say, whoa, this is a little bit closer than I thought it was going to be. And then they can pull away. That's the first step in starting to dominate some of these opponents because, I mean, you really haven't done that so far this year. Yep. Well, we'll, we'll find all of that out tomorrow night, 7 o'clock in the Smith Center on ACC Network Extra. Let's go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Four Corners, Four Corners Podcast. Before I let you go, I want to get you to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. I had you covered from start to finish of the Hall of Fame tip-off classic. Go back, read my recap from Carolina's 0-2 weekend up in Connecticut. Same thing will apply for UNC Asheville before we do take a break for the basketball coverage during Thanksgiving. As for football, Carolina beat Wofford over the weekend. Recap, stock report up on the website already for that. Then we'll get, be getting you ready for NC State, Carolina at State Friday, 7 o'clock. Um on ESPN. Anthony will have a preview and then we'll have a recap and a soccer report from that game as Carolina will play their season finale on Friday. As for the podcast side of things, you know where to find us. Basketball Podcast Network, host through Megaphone, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, you name it. The Four Corners Podcast is there. Go ahead and like the podcast. Review the podcast. Review me as the host. Review Anthony as the co-host. But we want you guys to subscribe. That way you that way you get every great podcast right there in your podcast library. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.